All right, hey, glad you're here this morning. Last Sunday, we started a, a new uh, sermon series called Big Ideas of the Bible, and subtitle, Jumping into Some of the Deep Stuff. Really what we're doing is discussing some Bible doctrines. And last week, we started with uh, redemption, remission, and reconciliation, three big words, and if you don't know what they mean, Go listen to the, to the service. You can find it online, nctyler.org. Just click listen. Or you can now go to the Apple iStore, search for New Covenant Tyler, and subscribe to our podcast because we is uptown now. Right? Yes. Yes, we are. All right. Hey, I want to tell you a story just as we get... Uh, get started here. Way back in 1754, there was a man named John Newton. And he had not been a very nice man. In fact, he was the captain of a, a uh, hello. That's the anointing right there when you can knock all the lights out. Boom! But, but they got my clock running though. So I can't stop. Way back in 1754, John Newton was the captain of a, a slave ship. He admittedly was not a, a, a nice guy. He was a hard taskmaster, had used uh, uh, whippings and other torture to keep his uh, quote unquote cargo quiet and submissive. So not the type of person that you just think, oh, this is going to be an awesome guy, right? But somebody cared enough about him that they gave him a copy of a devotional called The Imitation of Christ. And to everybody's amazement, this old, crusty sea captain, this slave trader, not only uh, gave his life to Jesus, but he became a preacher and spent the rest of his life crusading to end the slave trade in Britain. Now, as he got older in his life, he um, was weak, should have retired like most preachers should, we just keep going. But he, he believed that he had given the devil so many years of his life that he was gonna give God every ounce of breath that he had for the rest of his life. And one Sunday morning, while uh, preaching, once again, just an, an old elderly gentleman by this time, half blind. In fact, he had to have a, a, an assistant stand up with him in the pulpit just to kind of keep him upright and going. And this one Sunday morning, he was feeling really weak, but he began to preach, and he was only able to preach just a little bit above a whisper. And sometime during his sermon, he said, Jesus Christ is precious. And then he repeated it. Jesus Christ is precious. Now his assistant, thinking that the old man had probably lost his place or had become so senile he doesn't even know what he's saying anymore, reached over and whispered in his ear and said, sir, you just repeated that. And the old preacher snapped, looked at the young man, he said, I know, and I'm gonna say it again. And as one observer put it, 
The stones in the old sanctuary shook that morning as this old preacher stood and at the top of his lungs proclaimed, Jesus Christ is precious. Now this man, John Newton, also happened to write a a little hymn that you may have heard before uh, called Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. So how does a man go from being so vile that he'll make a profit off of human misery and suffering to become a man that writes probably the most well-known hymn of all time. How does that happen? He had an encounter with Jesus. He had an encounter with Jesus. So when he stood that morning and he said, Jesus Christ is precious. That was not just some old preacher saying old preacher things. He was declaring from the bottom of his heart. He knew what he had been. He knew how far God had brought him and to him, Jesus Christ was precious. Jesus Christ was precious. So we're teaching Bible doctrines. So the Bible is our textbook, right? It's a source of truth. Today we're gonna be looking at what the Bible says about Jesus. Now, obviously, this is not going to be an exhaustive time. We're just going to touch on a, a couple of points. But the doctrine of Jesus is what every other doctrine points to. The person of Jesus is the central expression of God's goodness to, huma- to humanity. And the works of Jesus are the crowning achievement of God's eternal plan. Now, C.S. Lewis, who was the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he also happened to be a Christian apologist. He said that you cannot engage Jesus as just a moral teacher or as a good man. We must admit that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, as he claims. Now, since I can't steal uh, the title from a famous lesson somebody else has done, I'm calling mine this morning, Con Artist, Crazy, or King. (laughs) Con Artist, Crazy, or King. Now, I have to to just tell you this this little story real quick. I had begun putting this together last week, and I was meeting with some of the staff guys, and I was telling them what I was going to be speaking on, And just being a real visual type of person, even though you can't see it, I can see it. Con artist, crazy, or king, that's two C's and a K. And that just kind of throws off my my groove there, you know? I I tried really hard to find a third C word, but it's just nothing really fit. So I was just telling the guys, and I was kind of, you know, saying... I know nobody's gonna see it, but you know, that that, that K kind of throws me off. So I think what I'm gonna do is just... uh, you know, be way out there and replace the, the C's with K's. So you would have uh, 
con artist with a K, crazy with a K, and king with a K. Now, I, was t- I happen to be telling this to, uh, to J.B. Ferris and uh, Roger Sims. So if you don't know Roger Sims, our, our youth pastor, happens to be a you know, very proud black man. And I'm telling him, I, hey, I'm, I'm going to replace my C's with K's. And he looked at me and he goes, you gonna do what? <laughs> I said, I'm gonna replace my C's with K's. He said, so you're gonna have a Sunday morning lesson that starts with KKK. And I said, I hadn't thought about it that way. He, he said, I know you hadn't thought about it, white cracker man. He didn't say that. He didn't say, but since Roger's not here and he's up in Michigan, I just thought we'd take an opportunity to make fun of him. So here we go. We're going to talk about Jesus this morning. Talk about the doctrine of Jesus. And when we're finished, I want you to have a better understanding of the, the miraculous nature of Jesus and a deeper appreciation of why only through the sacrifice of Jesus can we obtain salvation. Now, this seems like it should be very, very simple, very, very straightforward. Once again, we cannot touch on everything that the Bible talks about Jesus, even in these two areas. One of the, one of the theological books that, I, that I've been using to, to pull some information from, just the doctrine of Jesus itself is 70 or 80 pages. So I'm just touching on some things. But this morning, I wanna talk about why Jesus is all God and all man and why it matters. So Jesus is not half God and half man, but he is fully God and fully man. Jesus has two natures, one fully human and one fully divine. Now, as we go through this, I may throw out some some big words just to impress you with my theological prowess. When I was teaching this, parts of, of these type of things at King's Academy, I actually taught a class called Bible Doctrines. And when I got to some of these things, I always call the lesson fun with big words. Because if you didn't tell these kids, hey, we're gonna have fun with these great big words, they didn't care. They didn't care that you were just showing them all kinds of awesome things from from the word of God and that we have great big theological words that we can attach to it to make us all feel very safe and secure, right? So what we're gonna talk about first is Jesus being fully God and fully man in one person, in one nature. He is not a divided person. He is not a divided nature. He is one. And the, the theological term for that is hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. You feel smarter already, don't you? So I just heard the biggest word I've heard in a long time. They weren't talking about that last night on TV, were they? Nobody flipped across any channel and went, ooh, there's the hypostatic union correct? Right. So what, is, what in the world is a hypostatic union? Hypostatic is from the Greek word hypostasis, which really means just substance. Substance. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it's said of Jesus that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of of his nature. Now that word nature is hypostasis. In other words, Jesus is the exact imprint of the very matter that makes up God. 
Jesus and God the Father share the same substance. They're one. He's not two persons, he's not divided. He's not half man and half God. Now, if you've ever studied or read or really even watched any TV or movies, you may have seen some things about Hercules from, from, the, from the Greek or the Roman mythology where their gods would come and create half gods, half humans by, by, by sleeping with um, human women. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is not half God and half human. He is fully God and fully human. But understand this. I, I, I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, the enemy from the very beginning knew there's only one way God's gonna be able to pull this off. He's been waiting for all these years. All these years, there's only one way God's gonna be able to pull this off. He's gonna have to come himself and come in human form, Right? So even before Jesus shows up on the scene, the enemy is already sowing some distrust. He's already sowing some, something that would water down who Jesus was through Roman and Greek gods and goddesses. Because there was never any thought that, that, the Greek and, that the Greek and the Romans would be fully God and fully man because that doesn't even make sense to a human being. But in God's, God's way of doing things, it is absolutely, not only is it, is it doable, but it's necessary. Jesus was not man sometimes, and then God sometimes, kind of like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, change one to the other. He has two natures that are without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. So... What? Right? Why does this matter? That's really what we're going to talk about. I had to plow through uh, that beginning there just so just you would understand what it is that we're talking about. Why does this matter? Is Jesus God? Is Jesus God? The Old Testament prophesied that God would send his son. In Isaiah 9 verse 6, says, for a child is born to us. A son given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Say Mighty God. Mighty God, God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The son, a son will be born to you. A child will be born to you and he will be Mighty God. He will be Mighty God. So here's a prophecy about God sending a child that would be God. Are we sure it's Jesus? If somebody came up to you and, go, and said, hey, I've read Isaiah too, how do you know it's Jesus? How do you know that it was Jesus that fulfilled this prophecy? What would you say? I'm looking for hands. That's why we're talking about this. For all of you sitting out there, why are we talking about this? This is why we're talking about this. Are we sure that Jesus was this God? Did Jesus ever claim to be God? You know, some people accuse the first century Christians of making Jesus God. They said Jesus never claimed to be God, that he never said that he was God. 
And let's be honest, Jesus never ran around uh, screaming and waving his hands and going, yes, I'm God, yes, I'm God, yes, I'm God. Hey, hey, I'm over here, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. He didn't do those things. But what did he say? What did Jesus say? Jesus said about himself in John 10, 30, the father and I are one. The father and I are one, and it says that the religious leaders picked up stones to kill him, saying in verse 33, you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus didn't have to stand up and say, hey, I'm God. They knew exactly what he was saying when he said, the father and I are one. And it made the religious leaders so mad they were gonna stone him. It also says in John 8, 58, Jesus speaking, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. People said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. Seems like a pattern, doesn't it? People always want to throw stones at Jesus. When Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, Jesus was taking God's own name and applying it to himself. In Exodus chapter three, when Moses goes before the, the burning bush and, and Moses and the bush says, hey, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, well, who am I supposed to tell him has sent me? He said, tell them I am has sent me, has sent you. So when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, what Jesus was saying was, hey, all you guys remember that story about, about the, the burning bush? That was me. That was me. So you wonder why they started picking up stones to throw at him. Jesus was saying, I am God. That same God that you say that you've been worshiping all these years, that's me. Somebody asked me this week, they said, well, I've heard it said that, that, uh, uh, that Islam, Judaism, and Christianity all share the same God. Is that true? Now, you want to be nice, and you want to say, well, I understand that from Abraham came these three major religions, but let's be honest. It's not the same God, because my God is Jesus. They don't claim Jesus. They do not claim Jesus. Jesus' identity as God is the cornerstone of the New Testament. Had he simply been a man, or just a good teacher, or a prophet, his death would not have been sufficient, a sufficient sacrifice for sin. It could not have paid the penalty of the world. And if that was true, God had, could have just nailed Adam to a cross right when it started and paid for it. If all it took was a man, hey, this first man messed up, Let's just take care of this. But it wasn't sufficient for a man to die. A man could die for himself. But only God could pay the price for all. God is the only one. Jesus was the only one that could redeem us. Jesus is God. 
The world will accept Jesus as a good teacher. He's even, he's the second most important prophet in Islam. He's, he, he, he is accepted by many Hindus as just one of the thousands of gods. Where does he rank with you? Is he just one of many? Is Jesus just one of the many things that you have going on in your life? Is Jesus first and foremost in your life or is he second? Is he third? Where does he rank with you? What's first in our lives? It's important that Jesus is God and that we worship him as God and so we recognize that he is God because only God could come and pay the ultimate price for us. So if it's important that Jesus is, is God, why is it important that he was human? Jesus being important, important, Jesus being human is important because there were several things that he could only do as a human. And here's your second great big word for the day. This is called the incarnation. Jesus taking on human form, the incarnation. Jesus became human so that he could first identify with human struggle. Hebrews 2.17 says, therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so he could be a merciful and faithful high priest. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Jesus had to identify with the struggle. He also had to understand our weakness and be tempted like we were. In Hebrews 2.17, it says, therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like his brothers and sisters. In every respect, like his brothers and sisters, so that he could be, yeah, I got off there, hang on. <laughs> I was reading the same one again. How many of you noticed that? See, most of you didn't even notice it. I could have gone through that whole thing and go, is he done yet? Understand our weaknesses and be tempted as we are. Hebrews 4, 15. This high priest of ours understands our weakness. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet without sin. It was important that Jesus was human because he had to be tempted. He had to have the same type of weaknesses that we have. He had to go through these things. Here's another one. Jesus had to be human to show us how a human in relationship with God can live a powerful life. Jesus being fully God, but being fully human, as Philippians chapter two says, that when Jesus came, he humbled himself. 
It says that, 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 that he took off. Now that word taking off is not necessarily him taking off his godliness and setting it aside. What he was really doing was taking on the form of a human, taking on the limitations of a human and saying, I'm gonna live this life as a man lived this life. So all of these these superpowers, if you want to call them, that I have because I'm God, I'm not going to live my human life according to how I would live as God. In other words, Jesus was not living this life as some superhuman. He limited himself. The third big theological word for all of you keeping count, that's called the kenosis. The kenosis. Scripture says he emptied himself. Emptied himself of what? Did he empty himself of his godliness? Well, he couldn't have emptied himself of his godliness. If he had emptied himself of his godliness, he would no longer be God. Right? So what he did was set aside his his godly abilities to live this life as a human so he could turn and say, I'm being an example for you. I'm living this life so you can see how somebody who is truly connected to God can live. And here's the biggest one of all. The most important reason Jesus had to be fully human was so that he could die. God is spirit. Spirit doesn't die. Your spirit doesn't die. You're going to live eternally. You're either going to live it in the presence of God or you're going to live it in the absence of God's presence. But you're going to live eternally. Spirit does not die. Jesus could not come just as spirit. He could not come just as God. He had to come as human because he had to die. He had to bleed. He had to suffer. If he hadn't come in the flesh and he hadn't come with blood, he could not have shed blood. He could not die, and then we couldn't be saved. Without the death of Jesus, there is no eternal sacrifice for sin. Romans 5, 8, and 9 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, we will certainly... He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. He died because he was human. He rose again because he's God. As a man, he suffered for our sins. As God, he's given us eternal life. How God came in human form and how his death erases our brokenness is more than we can really understand at times. Would you, I ask people this question all the time. Would you really want to serve a God that you can completely understand and figure out? Because you know what? That would make him like me. 
The fact that his, his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, is a good thing. And even though it may not make sense sometimes to think, how can he be fully God and fully man? Yet be one. We accept it by faith. We accept it as truth. Because we understand that only as God could he ultimately pay the sacrifice. Only as God could he be worthy of being the sacrifice, but only as man could he have died. And that at all times, he was all God, yet all man. And he did it for us. He did it for us. He did it so we do not have to work our way towards God. But I was reading in Hebrews this morning, talking about Jesus being our high priest and how we get to enter into his rest. Some people try to make this, this, this walk with God just the hardest thing in the world. Oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. Why? He suffered for you. It's a good thing that Jesus came. It's a good thing that he died. In fact, what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna celebrate the life and the death of Jesus. And we're gonna do it through Holy Communion.